Hello, it is Matt Weaver with Bible Truth Project here with another episode in my illustrious series, just kidding, of episodes uh, about Israel, the Bible, and history. I haven't updated recently, and I think I say that I've, I've said this about every uh, at the end. How would I say it? At the entrance of every podcast, in the entry, I should say. I've, I've said that and I know it's just kind of funny how time uh, slips away and things go on. But I've had an exciting experience since the last time I did a podcast, and that is I've been back to Israel. I went back uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was a really an exciting time. Really had an uh, amazing time in Israel. This was a unique trip, uh, mainly because we were there to celebrate the 70th year that Israel's become a nation. I had purposed in my heart some years ago that if I'm alive on earth and and that it's and it's possible, feasible, I want to go to Israel in the 70th year, especially in in honor and celebration of that. And boy, were we treated to some spectacular um, things. Now, I'll walk you through just some of the highlights, I guess, of this trip. This is my fifth time over. Um, I've, this is a, a shorter trip, two weeks. I've, I've done only other one, one other trip where I was there two weeks. Otherwise, I've been there either anywhere from three to four weeks, generally speaking. And it, we do a lot of, I mean, we might have a tour with us part of the time and other times and we'll do some exploring. So I still had some bucket list items of things I wanted to run after. And, and the advantage in this one is we it was with a group of men uh, from our local congregation that actually had all been there before. So this was not a first time group, which is kind of a big advantage. Israel has a tremendous amount of history, tremendous amount of archaeology, and you can never cover everything with a first time group. And the first time groups tend to want to see, you know, very traditional historic uh, routes. They don't necessarily want to go into the lesser uh, known places. They want to do like the life of Jesus. They want to walk in those footsteps. Very understandable. So that was, it was very sweet to be able to um, do something like this because it got me again to, to see some new things. One of the most exciting things that I've seen was a, a discovery made some years ago by the archaeologist uh, Ellie Shukran. Ellie in 2011 um, was doing, he was in charge of the excavation of the city of David. City of David being the south side of the Temple Mount, uh, what we call that presently. He was in charge of the city of David excavations that have been going on for some time. Well, in 2011, he discovered a four chambered room that he calls Melchizedek Salem. So when we go back and we hear the story of Salem, or the king of Salem, or Melchizedek. It's a figure that I think a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, Melchizedek was a v- very unique individual. The New Testament's no beginning of days nor end of time. Now, just for the sake of, of continuing that train of thought a bit before I get into um, what we kind of discovered, let's just briefly speak about Melchizedek. Melchizedek is somebody you really should not speak briefly about, but he's a very fascinating figure. In Hebrews, Paul says that for this Melchizedek, which is the Melech uh, Tzadik, which is really uh, the king of peace and also the the king of Salem, or well, that's what it basically means, okay? Salem is peace. 
Um, but he is a righteous king of righteousness and also the king of peace. He was the priest of the most high God. Okay, so Hebrews 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. To him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything first by the translation of his name. He is the king of righteousness and also the king of Salem or Salem which is the king of Shalom. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like... Um, let me just give this a different translation. I'm using the TLV sometimes, and sometimes you get, you get the Hebrew, uh, and I don't want to be confusing. I, I prefer it because you get Hebrew in very key areas, um, but no, not to be confusing. But resembling the Son of God is how the ESV would render it, but Ben Elohim, Ben being Son, Elohim being God. So Ben Elohim, Son of God, he remains a Kohen or a priest for all time. Now, see how great this man is. Even Abraham the patriarch gave him a tenth out of the plunder. Indeed, the sons of Levi who received the priesthood according to the Torah commanded to collect a tithe from people, that is, from their kin, although they have come out of the loins of Abraham. But this one, who did not have their genealogy, has collected tithes from Abraham and it has blessed him, the one holding the promise. Now, it is beyond dispute that the lesser is blessed by the greater. In one case, dying men receive tithes, but in the other, one about whom it is testified that he lives on. Through Abraham, even Levi, the one receiving tithes, has paid the tithes, so to speak, for he was still in his father's loin when Melchizedek met him. And the promise is basically Jesus is somewhat compared to Melchizedek and his priesthood. But interestingly enough, Melchizedek somewhat stands as his own person. And if you keep reading on, the promise is basically made. He swore an oath uh, that he would make him a priest forever. And what is he? Who is he speaking of? Jesus. Okay. So after the order of Melchizedek. Okay. So Melchizedek somewhat is separated in the Bible. Some people say, well, he's a type of Jesus. Well, in a, in a sense he is. But if you look at the full context of it, and I don't have time to get it in this episode, but Melchizedek really represents the Holy Spirit as a person. And this is a huge deal, especially with people nowadays. Um, uh, you have Unitarians who don't believe that God, there is a person of the Holy Spirit. They find that offensive. Well, here you actually have evidence in Hebrews pointing to Melchizedek, who is an embodied uh, person, uh, basically a person of the Spirit. Now, that's kind of mind-blowing because it's not something we really hear about. Now, I'll tell you what is more mind-blowing is to actually visit this site. So you walk into, uh, you go into an active archaeological dig. Underground, there's um, entrances and there's a roof built over and a metal roof and there's beams and stuff. And you come down to this site. It's just above the Gihon Spring. And, uh, you know, I, I, I had heard about it first through an individual named Bob Cornuke. Bob Cornuke is not necessarily somebody I put a tremendous amount of stock in, not trying to degrade him or in that kind of thing. But he has a little bit of a checkered history as far as being accurate with his claims. However, he had a unique 
he kind of latched on to a Dr. Martin who had proposed that the actual temple was not located on the modern-day Temple Mount as we see it, but located over in David City based on what he thought Josephus was saying and what archaeology was showing. I disagree with that based on archaeology. I don't believe that the Levitical temples stood over on Mount Zion, like he says, because the archaeology has not shown that. In the regions that they say it should be, it's filled with houses and things in that time frame. So I just don't see that as being the place. Uh, It just doesn't work archaeologically. But there was, it did catch my attention because he showed as this earlier site being Melchizedek's temple, and this discovery was made in 2011. Now, we walked into uh, this little four-roomed building, and I, we looked at it, and I had seen photos of it. So here I am, you know, flesh and blood in person looking at this place, and it's very interesting. It's just, yeah, it's fascinating to know this could have potentially been Melchizedek's temple. Wow, that's amazing. But as we were there, we were looking at it. Our guide, Amos, Amos, which was a best friend of Eli Shukran, took us through the, the temple. He was explaining different elements of it. So a sacrificial point, a place of slaughter where you could skin animals and you could um, you know, do the orders of sacrifice. And there was a pit in the ground where you could grind grain. There was also an upress where you could press olives or press wine. And if you read the biblical account of Melchizedek, he brought forth bread and wine. So looking at the greater narrative without getting into detail, if Melchizedek is the spirit, the Holy Spirit, he came to Abraham and promised and showed that in Abraham, God would bring about the redemption of the world. That is through the bread and the wine that is made possible through the spirit. How does that work? Through the spirit, God resurrected his son who gave his, who gave his body and his blood, the bread and the wine. For us, And the Holy Spirit resurrected him in his own order, the order of Melchizedek, to be a priest forever um, in, the, in the heavenly temple for us. Now, I'm not going to get into the, to, to the, that side of it very much. I'm just, just to put a little teaser out there. Maybe later I want to research the subject a bit more before I just put a full presentation in there. But after we left the site, um, nothing, we didn't really sense anything when we were there. I mean, you were there, you saw it. Wow, this is amazing. You walk away. And all I can say is that all of a sudden there was a tremendous awareness that we have had just been in a very holy place. When I say awareness, it was just an impression. There was a, there was a uh, overshadowing um, I I felt it tremendously, and I didn't quite know what to do with it. It was a tremendous feeling of we have just been in a very holy place, and God wanted us there for a very, very specific reason. Some of the others didn't necessarily sense that, although others did. Some of them really felt a strong presence that was with that. One of the individuals was, was really just teared up and cried for a long time, for probably over an hour because it just hit him uh, that God is holy and separate. But there was something special attached to it, and it was a special, um, I guess you could say, pouring out of the Spirit upon us in a in a different way, an unusual way. We just all I can say is it was it had the same feeling 
as when the Lord baptized me in the Holy Spirit. Not trying to be controversial, but in the sense, I mean, I had that experience and I'm not ashamed of that. It was a tremendously powerful experience, an experience that uh, changed my life forever. And uh, I've never been the same since that. Well, this was a, it had the same feel to it. So you, I knew that this was the Holy Spirit wanting to, us to understand that this is a very special place. So I kind of let it there. You know, I did. I I wasn't really sure what to do with it. Just quite frankly, I wasn't sure what to real. What do you what do you make of it? What is this? Is the temple there? This was was Doctor uh, Martin Wright and Bob Cornuke. Were they right? The temple was there. And what I kind of discovered in my preliminary findings is there's several verses that indicate several different things. Okay, and we're just going to briefly speak about these things. Uh, Micah 3.12, and this is something Bob Cornuke pointed out, is that it it prophesies that, that Zion, okay, Zion is a reference to the temple or David's city, that Zion will become a plowed field, yes, Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins, and the Temple Mount will become a high place in a forest. So, basically, it, it says that Zion will become a plowed field. And there's references in different points and in, you have to understand Zion is you know on on the fortress or on the point of Zion is is supposedly where the temple was was built on the hill well <clears throat> when you when you think about that a little bit you know the Levitical temples the way I understand it archaeologically and everything it makes sense that they were on a different location I tell you why See, Melchizedek's temple was something that Melchizedek used. And when he was no longer present, for whatever reason, it's a side of history we are just not privy to. God has not revealed it to us. I think there's many things that God is and knows and and did of, of things that happened on earth and whatever that we have no we have no idea. We just simply don't know and we don't see it and we don't need to. He didn't reveal it to us for a very specific reason. But there's we know that there's Jesus manifested himself before he became a man, actually born as a man. He manifested himself as a man to Abraham, to Gideon, to to Israel. He manifested himself in the flame of fire, the pillar that led him uh, as the rock that followed them is what it says in different places. There's just a lot of different information. And it shows that Jesus was in this mix all along, even at Sinai. Uh, Paul says that it's it's a law that was given by angels. And so they saw a, a visible uh, form of God when he met with them. Well, who is this form? Well, it obviously seems to have been the pre-incarnate Christ. And then there's a flip side. When Jesus is on earth, he meets with who? Moses and Elijah on top of the mount and reveals, you know, he's glorified and they're seen together again. So it's kind of interesting. Those are just some parallels uh, that you can look from that standpoint. But coming back to this place... With what I had experienced, I realized there's a tremendous connection here that the world is not seeing and that it's that God is reserving only for people he deems, I guess you could say, worthy. I don't certainly don't feel worthy to have experienced this experience. I don't know how many people have been into that temple area. I, I presume it's been maybe thousands, but probably only hundreds since it's an active dig and very few people are allowed there. But I really don't think they know exactly what they have. See, my understanding of Melchizedek, if he was the spirit and he was the one who uh, 
look forward to Yeshua, Jesus, and he is the one who took him out of the grave, resurrected him. The tremendous connection to that site specifically. Later in the Bible, it says that when the Messiah comes back, that the fountain will come from underneath the house and will flow out the the valley and uh, out to the Dead Sea and make it sweet again. Well, it's interesting that this site it happens to be right above the Gihon Spring. I mean, right above it, literally. If you're standing at the walls of the Gihon and you look up, you'll see where the temple site is located, and it is right there. And that is just stunning, okay? So the question is this. Did God preserve in its purity his original place that was called the temple? Did he? Did he preserve it? See, the Levitical temple sites were defiled many times. Um, Solomon's temple was destroyed. Another temple was built. It became a temple to Apollo at one point. It became a, a temple to Greek gods. Uh, Jupiter was in there for a while. It was defiled many times throughout history, but this site was not. This site was actually buried. And even in the time of David, he would have not known that that temple was buried. So we got to experience something that even the greats, Jesus himself, disciples, um, David, even Moses did not see this site. When I started realizing this, these facts, it smacked me. I mean, who, who am I that God in my day and generation would want me to see this? Um, and it's there. You can do it. It's not like you can't see it, but somehow people's attention isn't on it. And God is, I think, doing that on purpose uh, to preserve it um, because he's something special in mind. Um the other thing that's interesting in that in that little temple, in one of the rooms there was a, a a metal box, and inside that box was a basically a standing stone. And uh, there's been different thoughts on what that could possibly be. Standing stones are not uncommon in the Bible. One of the most famous standing stones is when Jacob had his dream, and the ladder of heaven, and the Lord spoke to him from the top of the ladder. Uh, that he took that stone, set it up, and he anointed it. And I'm just going to go there real quick here. Let me just find this real quick. Okay, here it is. It is in Genesis 28. Jacob, okay, I'll just read a little bit of context. So basically, um, I'm just going to read this. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He was getting away, basically, from his brother. He happened upon a certain place. So it's not that specific exactly where this took place. Okay, It gives a region, but as time goes on, there's different regions that are called different things. And so it's when it comes to patriarchal places, we can't necessarily pinpoint it, except for like Beersheba has always been Beersheba. But he happened upon a certain place and spent the night there for the sun had set. So he took one of the stones from the place and put it by his head and lay down in that place. He dreamed. All of a sudden, there was a stairway set up on the earth, its top reaching to the heavens, and behold, the angels of God going up and down on it. Surprisingly, Adonai was standing on top of it, and he said, I am Adonai, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your seed. Your seed will be as the dust of the land. You will burst forth to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south, and in all the families of the earth. You, sorry, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed and in your seed. 
Behold, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back into this land, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I promised to you. I just want to briefly just stop and just look at this one thing. You know, God promised to Abraham the same thing, but to hear he's promising the same thing to Jacob. He promised it to Isaac as well, but he said, I will give it to you in your seed, but your seed will be as the dust of the land. Okay. So spread out to the four corners of the earth and in all the families of the earth, you will be blessed and also in your seed. So in all the families of the earth, obviously through Messiah, we have the option to be blessed, but I also believe it's seed. I believe that God genetically tied us to Abraham so that all the world can be blessed. Now, I can't prove that now, except for the, the, I, it was actually a counter argument. And I think I mentioned it in an earlier, earlier episode that somebody made as well. Hey, I mean, technically we are all probably have some genetics of Abraham. If you do the math, it's nearly impossible for not every last human on earth to at least have some traces of DNA, perhaps to Abraham. That is when the light went on and I saw, aha, that is what he was after. He wanted every family of the earth to, to join in the blessing of the redemption of the world. And we know that happened through Messiah. Jesus came and he is doing that. But there's also that pulling back genetically. And those are maybe you can say those are theories. I realize that. And I'm not out here trying to say this is what it is. I'm just saying, look at what it says. It says your descendants will be as the dust, as the stars of heaven. Hey, you do with what it is. God knows what he's doing. He's going to fulfill the promise, not me. I don't have to worry about that, but he will. So at the end of time, we will see, was I right? Was I wrong? It doesn't matter. God is right. He is his ways are his ways. Anyway, next it's, he says, so he was afraid and said, how fearsome this place is. This is none other than the house of God. This must be the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob got up, took the stone and he had placed by his head. He set it up as a memorial and poured oil upon it. And he called the name of that place Beth El. Okay, Beth meaning house, El, God, house of God. Through, though originally the city's name was Luz. Okay, so don't exactly know. I know there's references at one point that Jerusalem was called Luz, but there's also another place in the north called Luz and Bethel, about 12 miles north of Jerusalem. So a little bit of a little bit of question exactly where is this at and what i found is i thought there was no question i've been in israel many times i mean bethel is bethel i've been there many times i've seen the place where supposedly the stone was at there's like a little little monument there it's not like the stones in there but anyway in this temple there's a standing stone it's interesting in the context here that he says this is another no none other than the house of god and then he says he calls that stone and he says um, let me just see here. Where was it again? Wherever. Let me just see. Let me just look here just briefly. I'm sorry. Okay, there it is. And this stone, sorry, further down, I just wasn't looking far enough. And this stone, which I set up as a memorial stone, will become God's house. Will become God's house. So 
from that context, we have to see that, you know what? That was probably the location of the temple. Now, was that the temple, the Levitical temple, or did he set it up in on top of perhaps close to whatever to the temple where Melchizedek was. But anyway, there is a standing stone in that sanctuary. Is it his stone? It could be. The location, just to verify it, in 2 Kings 23, 4, it says, and this is just a reference to Bethel possibly being in Jerusalem, like there's, there is actual scriptural evidence for a place in Bethel being called, or a place in Jerusalem being called Bethel, and that is 2 Kings 23, 4. And it is, and the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out the temple of the Lord, out of the temple of the Lord, all the vessels made for Baal and Asherah and for all the hosts of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried the ashes to Bethel. Now you can say, well, that's not really speaking of, but if you keep reading... Uh, it's saying then what what took place. So it was there was the command, and then what what took place. Uh, let me see here. Um, let me just double check twenty three four. He stopped the idolatrous priest from the king. Just keep going. Twenty okay, twenty three six. Then he brought out the Asherah pole from the house, Asherah pole from the house of Adonai to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem, and burned it in the Kidron, ground it to dust, and threw its dust over the graves of the common people. So it's referencing a location as Bethel, okay, but then where the dust is spread is actually right there. So that is a good clue that that's actually the place. Well, that's that's kind of enough for, for this episode. <laughs> I think it's probably a lot to digest. Do some research. It's interesting. All I can say is that it absolutely changed everything for me. I cannot explain exactly everything about it. And I'm sure there's plenty of people who think, ah, that's just fooey. Who cares? It's not important. All I know is God wanted me there. He wanted me to see that. He wanted me to, to begin to understand something because I truly believe when Jesus comes back, he'll, there's going to be so many of this type of stuff that he will show us that he had done as a way of legally tying up our salvation, but also that's just the way he is. He can, he's God, and it, it just proves him as God. No man could have planned this uh, well enough. So blessings to you, and we're as we enter to Hanukkah season or Christmas, as we could call it as well, Hanukkah is a festival of lights. It is most likely the time when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So as we enter the time when the light of the world uh, came, and was conceived as a man. Celebrate our Savior, Yeshua, Jesus, for he is worthy. Until next time, God bless.